0: Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice. Okay, I think it's one o'clock. So welcome everybody. Welcome to another one of our practice manager update webinars. We really enjoy doing these for you and we're glad they're still pretty to be useful we've got a classic team with you today so lisa harding and michelle lombardi are directors of primary care and dawn childcraft deputy director of primary care and we think andy Purbrick is joining us later It will be delighted to see him if we don't see him we will catch up with him at another time um but that will be fine so we've just got so we've just got a sort of normal pattern today half an hour or so of information we think will be helpful for you do ask questions as we go and i'm going to hand straight over to lisa who's going to talk about online access thank you
1: Thanks, Louise. Um, just conscious, we did cover this in a bit more detail um, on the webinar two weeks ago, but we thought given this is such a hot topic at the moment, it might be just worth revisiting it as a sort of standing item um, until we know a little bit more and we have a bit more detail. So, I just wanted to recap very briefly on a couple of the points that um, I covered in the previous webinar, but also mentioned a couple of other things that you may want to be aware of. So, just to recap, um, first of all, as you know, the The initial uh, go-live date was December 21, and then that was rescheduled um, to April 22. However, we are anticipating um, that there's going to be a further delay. We are yet to have a confirmed um, date of of go-live, so we are waiting to um, hear about that in a little bit more detail but we don't know anything concrete as yet Um, so we do know that we do need to prepare for this nevertheless um, because it will go ahead at some point Um, but there were just so there were just a few little bits and pieces that we wanted to remind people around and particularly around the sort of room moving or redacting items from online view that might do harm to individuals, third parties. Um, so I think some of the particular concerns have been around um, safeguarding concerns, safeguarding entries Um, And we know that um, EMIS and TPP, the two systems that will go live initially, Vision will come online later, are looking at this. So we're waiting for a bit more guidance from the BMA, but also waiting for the RCGP to update their guidance, which I don't believe they've uploaded as yet. Um, So we just wanted to recommend that practice, bear in mind, you are the data controller, you remain the data controller. Um would recommend that you perhaps ensure that all your clinicians and particularly your ARS staff, who may not be familiar with this program yet, are fully aware of the importance of what they're writing in the the record. Apologies, my phone's going. And how to remove Redact It from online view. Um, Be aware that all records will be visible from the go live date. So that includes consultations with full text unless something is hidden at the time of entry. Results, once they are filed in the record, will be on view. Codes and documents, again, once filed within the record and unless they are redacted and appointment information. Um, so access to retrospective or historic records can still be requested by patients. Um, if a patient signs up to the NHS app or similar at a later date, for instance, 2023, um, Dawn has confirmed with the national team at a webinar yesterday that they will still be able to see everything from the launch date, uh, whenever that is. So I think that's worth being aware of, um, the other issue that we raised last time, which is just good to bear in mind, that if a if a patient moves surgery, um, and their records move via GP to GP, their access will be from the date they join the new surgery. Um, now, this is intentional, and it's because that when a patient record moves via GP to GP to a new surgery, all the sensitive redaction markers don't transfer. um, Therefore, access is not given um, to to what becomes the previous record. If the patient asks for retrospective access, having previously had it at the old practice, the new practice will need to review the record for any sensitive entries that they need to remove or redact. Um, Again, Dawn confirmed that on the NHSX webinar yesterday and they're very conscious of this and are working on this. Um, So we just would suggest and recommend that you ensure all your staff processing documents know how to remove them from online view until the document has been reviewed for its suitability. Um, There is a code which I might ask Dawn if she's able to pop in the chat at some point that will hold back online access, which is called enhanced review indicated before granting access to own health records. And that's obviously a SNOMED code. Um, And you may want to apply that or consider applying that to patients where there's an issue around a lack of capacity, there are safeguarding protections or concerns in place, or there are issues around domestic abuse or violence um and the other bit that we were going to suggest is you might want to consider using a test patient in your clinical system um, and a test patient in the nhs app to see how the actions within your clinical system will look to the patient within the app um, there is some guidance on the nhs digital um, website on how to do this and again we can circulate that that link um and the nhs app app test page can be put on a, a computer or laptop as well as a smartphone. So um that was just a whistle stop update on online access Louise. So I think Thank I'm now you. going to pass over to, to No
0: Dawn. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let you sorry I've oh you're <laughs> I've you know i not you have got a couple of questions. Right. Welcome Andy it's lovely to see you. Um Andy Perrix joined us um one of our medical directors soon to be our, one of our joint chief executives um Lisa um just to sort of point out to everybody that we are doing a little just a very very short film one for TPP, one for emis So this is what your clinicians need to do. So we're doing that at this moment, and we will obviously release that. And um, one of the questions that's come up that I think one of my colleagues has just answered is that um, we're, yes, we, we are going to do some comms, and we are doing comms on how, what to tell your patients. Um, and um, yes, Dawn has just confirmed that. Can we write a short summary that we've used to so com- that the, you can all use to communicate? Yes, there's got a web page should be published shortly. So we. The difficulty is, as you are in the situation, we are all in this moving situation. So we're keeping waiting f- for the date, for the for the information to make sure this is the pertinent, this is the finite, this is what we can tell everybody. And the things it's a little bit of a moving platform at the moment, isn't it? So we're doing our very best with it. And as soon as we've got the pub the page published, we absolutely will share that. So hopefully that will be useful to you. We do know it is a complete minefield. Um, and um, yeah, there are lots of concerns. But that's been very useful, Lisa. We were particularly concerned after our conversation last week that it might be the ARS roles and the clinician, some of the clinical roles that possibly might get missed and aren't sort of involved in these conversations. So that's been really helpful. Thank you, Lisa. Um, I'll let you go now. I- that, that is all, all, the, all the questions we were going to have um, on that one. So I think, Dawn, we're going to hand over to you now um, about staff uplifts and a little bit on finance.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Louise. Yes, hello, everybody. Um, so we've had quite a few queries recently um, from practices about staff uplifts this year. Um, you know, what are they and if there are any. Um, so the global sum has been uplifted by 3%, as we we all know. But within this, there's an element of 2.1%. That was intended to go towards your staff costs but just for clarity we need to say 2.1 percent is for the staff uplift and also to include the employer pension and ni or any other on costs you might have for your staff we do realize this is quite disappointing um with retention of staff the uh, cost of living as we know is rising continually at the moment, 5 6% even. Um, and the GPC England <clears throat> did actually ask for additional funding um, to bear in mind these economic changes. Unfortunately, NSC and I um, refused. So that, that's where we are with that at the moment. Um, to clarify about the DDRB for your salaried GPs, um, these won't or aren't usually reported until May, June every year. So until the DDRB report is out, we can't say exactly what that is. Um, <clears throat> and again, for clarity, if your salary GPs have a contract, no less favourable than the BMA model contract, there will be something in there that says that they're entitled to the DDRB recommended uh, pay uplifts. So just to bear that in mind. The other one that people are asking about is the ARRS. Um, um, a R S, as we know, is based on the Agenda for Change pay scales. Um, and for 2223, they're not yet published. Um, so until they are, um, the uplift for 2223 on the caps, is, which is what they're based on, we won't know. However, the NHS England uh, Ready Reckoner for 2122 um, has been updated by NHS England, which has 2223 ARRS indicative budgets in them. so you could have a look at that to see what your maximum amount of AWRS budget is. having said all of that of course your budget is one thing. the caps on the role is something else. so if you pay over the cap as you know um, that that's for the PCN to bear. Um, but the Ready reckner like I say, has got the 22 indicative budget in there if you wanted to have a look. And, again, the link for that, we can add that to this webinar uh, afterwards or next to the podcast. And that's all the pay uplift for now. Thanks, Louise.
0: Yeah, that's, that's helpful. Thank you very much, Dawn. That's great. Um, friends and family test. Michelle, I think this is your item.
3: Yeah, you're right, Louise. It's me. So it was really just to... Um, remind and let practices know that the requirement for the friends and family test was actually suspended um, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic and they've just reintroduced it from the 1st of April back into the GP contract. However, with with that said, um, NHSE are aware of the are whether it'll take practice time to get fully up to speed with this, so they're not expecting any returns until quarter two in 2223. So it's just a reminder this is being reintroduced, but actually the return isn't needed until quarter two onwards. That's helpful. Thank you, Michelle. um Andy,
0: I think we we're going to talk about um, the MCCD, which we looked up with medical certificate of cause of death, and I think you're going to update us on what's going on with that. Please.
4: Yeah, I get all the cheery subjects, don't I? So. Um, Afternoon, everyone. Um, Yeah, one of the positives that came out of the Coronavirus Act was the introduction of easements to the death certification process and cremation forms. And we'd hoped that everything would um, just stay as it was because finally some common sense had prevailed. But as always, um, common sense hasn't prevailed. So following the ending of the Coronavirus Act on the evening of the 24th of March, There have been some changes to death certification and cremation. So the following provisions are continuing uh, from the 24th of March and that the period for death within which a doctor can complete a medical certificate of cause of death uh, and must have seen the patient will remain at 28 days. So that's positive. Uh, We we had feared it would go back to 14 days. Um, But no, that's staying at 28 days. Uh, It will still be acceptable for medical practitioners to send the MCCDs electronically. In fact, that is the preferred route now. Um, And there is no expectation that MCCDs will be sent by post. Um, uh, And actually, the updated guidance also says that um, where we had to save MCCDs, Uh, and then send them in batches to the registrar, you no longer have to do that. You can actually destroy them once they've been sent electronically. The recommendation is that you hold them for uh, around four weeks to ensure that the death has been successfully registered and that the registrar hasn't got any um, queries around the death certificate. So as long as you're sending the MCCD electronically, keep it for four weeks and then destroy it. There's still a legal requirement to... um, issue um, the informant with the notice that you've actually uh, sent the MTCD to the or, or signed the MCCD um, and this is the little tear off bit on the um, death certificate that we used to staple to the front of the death certificate and it basically tells the informant what their responsibilities are in terms of registering the death so it's important although we're not giving the death certificate to the uh, next of kin anymore, that we still give them that um, informant slip. And you can either do that um, in person, getting them to collect it from the surgery or uh, electronically. Um, uh, regarding cremation, we were a bit worried that the form five, which is what we all know as the part two, was going to come back. But actually now it's confirmed that it's permanently removed. So that's a positive development. Um, the things that are changing, um, after the expiry of the coronavirus act is that the provision that temporary allowed any medical practitioner to complete the MCCD. So this um, this was introduced as a temporary measure during the coronavirus act and now that has been removed. Uh, and also the next of Kim will have to register the death in person, not remotely. Uh, up until now, they've been able to do everything over Zoom. Um, who can complete the MCCD? Just to clarify, a medical practitioner for the purposes of the MCCD must be a doctor. So it can't be any other staff completing it. Uh, and only a medical practitioner who attended the deceased during their last illness can complete the MCCD. And by attend, um, there's no clear legal definition of attend, but it generally is accepted to mean a doctor who's cared for the patient during the illness that led to their death and so is familiar with the patient's medical history investigations and treatment, and that they've got access to the relevant medical records. Um, So there's no provision under the current legislation to delegate statutory duty to any non-medical staff to complete the the MCCD. Uh, And in terms of attend before death, that can be either in person or via video. Um, So a medical practitioner with GMC registration will be able to sign the death certificate if they attended the deceased during their final illness up to 28 days before death or viewed the body in person after death and can state the cause of death to the best of their knowledge and belief. Um, cremation form four, uh, this, the, the rules revert back to the pre-COVID rules. So it's expected that the doctor signing Cremation form four will have treated the deceased during their last illness uh, and have seen them within 28 days prior to death or seen them in person after death and be able to state the cause of death Uh, and just a plea when you're filling out form fours um, the medical referees at the crematorium will often need to contact or or query a a cremation form so it's really helpful if the doctors can put uh, a mobile number on the form when they're filling it out. Uh, I think that's all the update that I've got, we're going to actually put all this in the newsletter with a new flowchart for death certification because I know it's one of those things that colleagues find um, difficult to to remember, especially when they've got to do it um, uh, relatively infrequently.
0: Thank you, Andy. We have a number of new practice managers um, that have joined um, our West LNCs in the last sort of, I don't know, 18 months or so. Would it be fair to say all your GPs will know all of this or is after the practice manager to get the conversation going or what should the practice manager role be in this? Because often it's sort of, it's kind of something that you don't particularly get involved in, but what what would you suggest that they do?
4: I think what usually happens is the doctors fill something out incorrectly and then the poor secretarial team or reception team get lambasted by either the registrar, the family, or the, um, or the medical referee at the crematorium. Uh, the the rollout to the medical examiner role within in, Wessex is hopefully going to sort of iron out some of the glitches in death certification and cremation form filling but if you're a relatively inexperienced doctor or you're not doing this frequently it's easy to get caught out with the regulations put the wrong causes of death that aren't acceptable on there or or forget to uh, inform the coroner when you're supposed to So really it's about signposting your team to the um simple flow chart that we've done to make sure that they're filling it out correctly that the right person's doing it uh, and that they'll that they're fulfilling their obligation obviously to produce the death certificate so that the next of kin can register death within 5 days of death which is a ludicrous timescale uh, and hasn't been changed but that's a legal requirement the registrars do give some flexibility but they're by law supposed to have registered the death within 5 days of of death. So I'd say as as a management team, it's just about making sure that your clinicians know their responsibilities and know the pathway and know who can and can't fill out the, the death certification. Because often what happens is someone will die and then it's bounced around a number of doctors saying, I can't fill it out. I can't fill it out and then no one fills it out.
0: Thank you, Andy. That's really helpful. What we might do is actually we might just trim this little segment and then the practice managers can have that as a separate podcast and they can share it with their um, GPs if that would be helpful. And also combine with looking at the information on the website, which I know you're updating, and the newsletter. hopefully that'll cover all bases and people can learn in whichever way they, they feel is helpful. Thank you, Andy. That's really helpful. And um, we just a question coming in. Um, I've heard that DWP is no longer requiring fit notes to be signed. Have you heard this or just a vicious rumour? So this is going on a different subject. I don't know if, Michelle, you've taken yourself off sound there. Have you, have you got some information about that?
3: So I think we believe that it will be um, removing the requirement to, to sign fit notes in ink from April 2022. However, there's supposed to be further details um, over the coming weeks that will enable that. So I think we're just waiting on further information. Um, but that is um, what we've heard and what we believe will happen. Lovely, thank you. And just following on to what Andy was saying, um, we were
0: sh- we were sent updated information from the registrar in Baines, which has been shared with all GPs. So that's been helpful. And I don't know whether that has been the case all over the all over yeah. our area. And the difficulty is we don't really know. Andy,
4: yeah, I've been working with the registrar in Baines actually. So the information they sent out was sent to me first, um, and um, I've spoken to registrar in Dorset uh, and the coroner in Dorset to ensure that our information that we're putting out is correct uh, and the correct interpretation of the national guidance so and hampshire uh yeah they're kind of linked in but they're, they're not very responsive to us when we email them we'll try to speak to them um but uh i i'm taking silence as as an acceptance of what we do so i'm sure they'll be in contact with me if they're not happy (laughs)
0: Lovely. Thank you. That's really, really helpful.
2: Um, We're moving on now to Dawn. I think we're going to talk about LFTs and staff testing. Yes, thanks, Louise. Um, So what I was going to say is not quite what I am going to say, um, because there was actually an announcement last night by the government with more of their COVID plans living with COVID. And they did say that under the plans they set out yesterday, that there would be um, free free asymptomatic uh, lateral flow testing that will continue from April in some high-risk settings where infection can rapidly uh, spread. So this will include patient-facing staff in the NHS and NHS-commissioned independent healthcare providers um, and a few others besides, which um, we would hope that that obviously will include ourselves in primary care. Um, although there is nothing other than that, that we got yesterday. Um, there is, as I'm sure you know, a government webpage for the management of staff in healthcare settings. That's not actually been updated since February. Um, so that still stands. I would hope that on the 1st of April, they will update that webpage because that's the one that currently has the information um, on the LFT and PS. Uh, PCR testing. The question really is where are you going to get the lateral flow tests from? Um, And unfortunately, I don't have the answer to that one at the moment. Um, But on the basis, they're saying that it will continue. Hopefully, that means that they will obviously continue to come via whichever method you get them from at the moment. But we can't be sure on that. Um, As soon as we do have more, we will obviously update via our usual channels and also put that in our newsletter. Perfect. Thank you, Donna. And just a
0: comment really from Debbie. It does seem mad that staff and GPs are going to be testing, but patients can't test and will be coming into the practice with COVID. Um, we can only agree, can't we? Um, so we can now get LFT tests from the government.uk. They ask on there an additional question about being an essential worker, so that um, you can still get them on the website if you need to. Okay. Thank you very much for that, Dawn. That's really helpful. Um, Lisa, I think we're going to come to you now about um, vaccination records.
1: That's right. Thanks, Louise. And I think that Dawn's just going to put a slide up for us on this one. And and this is just to sort of go back to the uh, VDRS, the Vaccination Data Resolution Service. We know that the um, patients are being encouraged to check that their vaccination records are up to date and correct. Um, We're hoping that that might help people who are wanting to travel etc and make sure that people get reminders around boosters and so on and so forth so um we're just aware that these um this poster is now available on the website that's at the top of the slide there just underneath our header so we wondered whether practices might want to make that available on their website or in your um practice waiting areas just to direct patients to do that so that they check their covid vaccination record and call 119 uh, if if there's anything that's incorrect or missing, so it was just a quick one really to make people aware of that 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 poster.
0: Thank you, Lisa. And just one more question about it's um, coming. something just comment from Matt Perkins. It was indicated that NHSEI would be sending us a letter to us all prior to the first of April, but I'll be aware there were lots of there are still so many unanswered questions from yesterday's announcement. I don't think we've seen a letter, have we? No. Um, so. As soon as we do, Matt, we'll let everybody know, but we have, yes, we're sort of, yeah, sorry about that. We don't know either, so hopefully, but there's still a few days to go to the 1st of April, aren't there? Um, Okay, so thank you, Lisa, that's great. Um, Michelle, Workforce Data.
3: Yeah, so I've just got a couple of things I wanted to mention on the workforce data submissions that practices undertake. So there is one due on the 31st of March, so um, for tomorrow, so it's just a quick reminder on that. There's so much going on at the moment. And the other area around workforce data I just wanted to mention is that we had some, had a couple of queries come in last week from practices as there'd been some information published uh, around GP, uh, patient GP ratios, which um, when you looked at the data really did not feel like it was an accurate reflection of what was happening uh, in general practice. So when we've um, looked at this, it does feel that there. So the the workforce data spreadsheet that is um, hosted on NHS Digital is a massive, massive spreadsheet, and media outlets will go on and look at those quite rightly. It's in the public domain, but actually, when you look at the supporting information that goes with that, so there's a, a spreadsheet that sends that provides all the definitions of each of the columns uh, and the rows included. And there's actually 699 rows of information to work through to understand and analyze the data in in a most appropriate way. So we believe that when they've looked at, so whoever's looked at the data, as I say, in the media, unfortunately, they're not picking the correct information to analyse the um, patient to uh, GP ratios and we have, um, Dawn's done quite a bit of work on this and identified the correct column that they should be using which gives a more accurate figure of this information we are linking in with the BMA and we are also linking in with NHS Digital because unfortunately what, will ha- what has happened is the incorrect information is then causing more work for practices. So you get media interest, you get patients asking questions. So it's really just to highlight that we are aware of this. We are looking at it. We are also going to look at it from an L- LMC perspective to provide some maybe some analysis of that data. So if you do get any questions from media you will potentially have available a response to that that can provide maybe a more accurate or more relevant figure. So it's really just to highlight that this information is available on HS Digital, which I think probably most will be aware of. But we are trying to um, negotiate or ask NHS Digital to put a bit of a better na- narrative on there instead of 699 rows of information which people have to trawl through. Um, so we're working on that and also looking at how we can help uh, with responses to the media. So it's just to highlight that for practices.
0: That's good to know. It's quite reassuring. Thank you, Michelle. And I think
2: we're going, um, going to dawn now flu. Yes, so, so often, doesn't it? flu already but no it's quite important I'm sure most of you will be aware that the letter came out um, about the flu reimbursements um, and the um, eligible cohorts recently Um, and what was quite noticeable in there is that this year I'm sure you're now aware the 50 to 64 year old group is not a cohort unless of course anyone in that age group is at risk in which case they're in the at-risk cohort so if you've Uh, pre-ordered flu vaccines for 22-23 for the 50 to 64-year-old cohort that now isn't going to exist as we know this year you might want to amend your flu orders. Now we do understand that some practices have gone to amend their flu order and met a little bit of a resistance Um, but we have absolute assurance from the BMA and NHS England that um, the manufacturers have all said no we are taking and we will accept amendments Um, to allow for the 50 to 64 year old uh, cohort coupled to that I just also want to mention though what is in that letter is the workforce that are included this year and the workforce included this year is the same as the pre-pandemic workforce group which doesn't include I'm afraid primary care staff so whilst last year you could vaccinate your staff and also claim for them within the DES. That is not part of the offer again this year. Uh, so I just thought it was worth highlighting that to you now. If anybody does have a problem with any manufacturer and amending their orders, we have got an email address for NHS England flu inbox and they would like to hear from you and they will certainly help and support you with any problems you have with the manufacturers. Thank
0: you, Dawn. And, um, yeah, Jackie's just put a comment in. I'm secure has contacted me this week to adjust our order. So there is conversations... There are conversations to be had, um, but please don't feel um, positioned into a corner by anybody. We can certainly help you out, and we've helped other people. Um, there's just been other comments that um, letters have been circulated, um, living, with to- living with COVID, letter 30th of March 2022. That might be the letter we were talking about. So it looks like there's a I, – I, unfortunately, when we're with panellists, we can't lift that um, link and put it in the Q&A box, which is where we like to see the information. So it's in the chat bar. You can all see that now. So hopefully that will be helpful for you. Um, thank you dawn and um, that's helpful i think michelle you're going to talk about office email then possibly something about Quof as well
3: yeah it was to really just a couple of things the first thing is we used to have a support at wessex <coughs> excuse me support at wessex um email a, a number of years ago which we um which i think uh, we replaced with the office at wessex lmcs.org.uk it was really just to highlight that that Um, the support email is no longer in use and to not use that um, email we are putting a message on to say that that is no longer active and to use the office email it was really just to highlight that it's unfortunate if you've used it in the past um, it will pop up won't it because it remembers it so um, it was just a highlight to, to highlight that. The other is around end of year. And I think there's a couple of um, things that need to be done uh, by today. The first is that you need to check within CQRS. Your offer has been accepted for 21-22. I think most practices hopefully will have done that at the beginning of last year to help with your aspiration payments. Um, however, just in case, please do just check that. And then the offer for 22-23 um, needs to be accepted uh, by today to, uh, to enable uh, your aspiration Payments. I think you can probably do it throughout the year, but actually, if you do it by today, your aspiration payments will um, just flow uh, uh, smoothly in theory. If it's greyed out when you go into CQRS, we have had that um, report. If you need to let your CCG know, they need to activate it for you, um, but it should be active.
0: Excellent. It's good to know. Um, thank you, Michelle. That's useful, too, useful little tips there. Um, because the end uh, end, of questions unless anybody else is going to pop one quickly in the q a box for us i think we've probably covered all the ones that we're going to um really useful roundup thank you very much to um lisa michelle dawn and andy um always always useful and as i say we will always follow up and put things on the website and um put the podcast out with some links if that would be helpful so thank you very much everybody very nice to see you again thanks for joining us and we'll see you again next time thanks very much bye-bye